Seinfeld. The scofflaw is over, but we're just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap. And now here are the two guys who just got back from glasses shopping in Malaysia. I'm Rob Sister Jr. Here's Akiba Winnaker. Akiba, how are you? I thought you were going to say that two guys who don't have the upper hand in any relationship. No, oh, that's obvious. That's obvious. We don't need like, to We should only be in so that. many relationships altogether that we would have the upper hand in one. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking about friends even. Right. That's right. Well, you have friends at least. I mean, just compared to you. No, that sounds mean. <laughs> no, you have many friends. You have many friends. I don't I just I just have Chester. I have I have Chester and and maybe you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, it's nice to be back with you here on the Seinfeld Recap Podcast. Uh we have a lot to discuss here today because we're going to be talking about the scofflaw. We're going to be talking about how Newman is the white whale of the cop, but really, that's like the D story. It's really, uh, you know, it has the title, but it really is not the focus of the episode. Yeah, I would have titled this. First of all, even I may have stuck with that storyline, but I would have titled the episode The White Whale. Scofflaw is such an obscure word. Uh, if I just said to someone like the Scofflaw, like a, a casual to moderate Seinfeld fan, they would have no idea what I'm saying. I was also thinking last week should have been the Super Bowl tickets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this week, definitely the White Whale is how it would have gone. So, but meanwhile, in this episode, we have some interesting stuff going on with John Lovitz's character, who is Gary. Is that him? Yes. And he is somebody who is uh, formerly somebody who had a diagnosis of cancer, but it turned out that he actually didn't have cancer or they thought it was cancer, but he told people he did have cancer. He got a hair piece of, or a, a subscription to the hair club for men or whatever, the hair group for men. And then he's getting uh, trying on hair pieces, which leads to some very funny stuff, probably more in the next episode that we're going to talk about the next new episode that we're going to talk about than it does here today. But uh, a lot of wheels are in motion, plus the return of Jake Jarmel. Yeah, well, we have a lot of like random people just showing up. You know, Jake Jarmel shows up. Mr. Lippman comes out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of like move small moving parts but i don't know if there's like one big like ethos or one big uh like what's i don't even know what the a story is here you know it's (laughs) like uh yeah i guess it's the stuff with gary but it it sort of comes at you from all sides it's a it's a little bit of a different type episode you know just a little bit of a spoiler alert that i actually went ahead and watched a lot of the next episode that we're going to talk about just because i wanted to remember how all this story pays off because i said oh okay great Here's the John Lovitz episode. This is where George gets the toupee and Elaine doesn't like it and she throws it out the window. And that all happens next week where really just at the end of the episode, George gets the toupee. It's really I think that most of the really memorable moments with that are coming next week. So it's almost like this is kind of like a two part episode of George where he gets the toupee here, but all of the payoff, the toupee off. Uh, that's a uh, the early front runner for next week's hashtag, I think, is all coming in the next episode, The Beard. Uh, yeah, this is well in, next week after the uh, right. after the two parter, but the right. next real episode. Um, yes, I agree. It is a little bit of a setup. We've seen a lot of those, not this season, but certainly in seasons three and four uh, where it's not an official two parter. But I agree. There is a lot of this does pay off, especially, you know, the, the most famous two pacing that you mentioned where Lane, you know, you're bald and she throws it out the window, which is, you know, one of the more iconic moments of season six, if not that, the series. It, it, oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I I don't know if you would say, like, what's the most memorable moment of this episode? I don't know what that would even be hmm. like. What's the what's the what would be 
if if a, if a scene from this episode makes highlights of a hundred next week, what would it be? I'm not even sure. I think for me, it would be the poker face uh, scene between uh, Jerry and George. Uh, when George comes in with the secret from Gary, I think that that's probably uh, the top moment to me. But, yeah. you know, it's not a does not reach the high highs of some of these other great, great Seinfeld moments. Right. And that's a little more subtle and takes a little m- more time to sort of, uh, you know, happen. Yeah. All right. <laughs> And John Lovitz is funny here, and we'll talk about all that through. But first, Akiva, we have to mention here, it's on everybody's minds, the 100th episode recap, or the recap of the 100th episode, is coming up next week on the Seinfeld Recap Podcast. Yeah, if you're listening to this now, we're going to be recording it probably Tuesday. So uh, get your voicemails in, get your questions in, anything at all. You know, no nonsense too irrelevant for us. That's right. So we are taking your email questions, Seinfeld at Post Show Recaps. We are taking your voicemail questions. I've heard we have already are getting some voicemails in. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail. Don't dilly-dally either because we are going to probably be recording that on Tuesday. Don't hesitate getting your voicemails in if you're listening to this show uh, in the first couple of days that it comes out. Yes. Uh, and you said the word dilly-dally. Is that a word you say a lot? I don't say it often, but I feel like it is part of the I feel like you heard that from uh, your parents a lot when you were younger. <laughs> don't dilly-dally. Do your homework. Stop dilly-dallying. Yeah. All right. So the 100th episode recap, we will be talking about also the 100th episode recap of Seinfeld, uh, which is that a two-parter? Yes. A two-part okay. episode, which means we have to watch uh, 40 minutes of highlights. I won't complain. Uh, I, you know. No, 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 you can't, you know, very light watching. I'm, you know, I'm very curious to find out. Maybe we could ask uh, Melman, friend of the podcast, why he has the writing credit for both episodes. It seems like he's probably made a lot of money mm-hmm. for uh, no reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. So uh, we will check that out all next week on the show. Akiva, uh, what news items do you want to talk about before we jump into the episode? Well, this wouldn't be Seinfeld news any other week, but I figured it's relevant because of, uh, you know, one of the main characters in today's episode is uh, John Lovitz. Yes. And uh, a story I came across at work yesterday was that uh, John Lovitz, who's 58 years old, uh, was dating a 27 year old model and actress who was on 90210. I'd never heard of her. Her name was uh, Jessica Lowndes. Mm -hmm. She's 27. So he's 31 years older than her. And it was a big deal. And people are like, wow, look at, you know, John Lovitz. And and that sort of made the, you know, made the rounds on social media for most of the day. But then they said it was an April Fool's prank, which makes no sense because. They could have just waited like two more days for April Fool- April Fools. Right. Um, Considering that it's March 29th, the day we're recording this podcast. Right. And it's, but to me, the problem is with this gag is one, no one's ever heard of the girl. Mm-hmm. So the only idea is that she's 27. Right. Right. This is like that. Maybe John Lovitz wants to date this woman. I don't even know if John Lovitz is married, but it's like, hey, could you do me a solid and you could get my name out there in the press? Sure. That, that would. And I'm sure it's good for her also because no one's ever heard of her. Right. So why should we? Why wouldn't she want to be associated with someone more famous than her? Right. Maybe she I don't I you know, I'm, I don't know her. For all I know, John Lovitz could be happily married. I feel like he wouldn't have done this if he was happy. <laughs> wow. He might be unhappily married. That's possible. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a good idea. Like go to like the prettiest girl, you know, and be like, we start a rumor that we're dating. Like we don't actually have to be dating, but mm-hmm. you no, know, we'll just pretend we'll just like live together for a week. We'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, can I talk about one other news thing before we get sure. into talking about the episode? Uh, so so we recorded this podcast on a Tuesday, which sometimes uh, there are a few days before you ultimately get to hear it, which normally isn't a problem. But uh, last week, a couple days after we recorded our recap uh, from last week, uh, very sadly, Gary Shandling passed away and we didn't get a chance to mention it on last week's show. 
And then uh, the news about his death actually came out, you know, uh, in between when we recorded and when you guys got to hear the episode, if you listen to them live. And so, Akiva, I just wanted to ask you, were you a fan of, of the late, great Gary Shandling? Yes. So, you know, I've complained before and probably insensitively that a lot of times people get built up. Celebrities get built up afterwards that people complain, oh, I love this person. But really, they have 15,000 tweets and they've never mentioned them and they didn't really care about them. And they're just honing in on the grief. But Larry, uh, Larry Sanders or Gary Shanling um, is one, a rare case of a celebrity where it's like people don't even realize how big of a deal he was until he died. He was sort of one of the more underrated comics. I love the Larry Sanders show. I'd say if someone wanted to go back who's never who'd never seen it or doesn't remember it, I think the roast episode. Do you remember the roast episode? You know, I, I watched it, but I was not a regular viewer of it. Like I've seen a bunch so that, of them, but yeah. out, out of order. You could pop any of them on. I did go back. I think when uh, I guess Blockbuster, like the, the the Netflix version of Blockbuster, first started. Uh, you know, I you know when you could get like three or five or however many DVDs at a time, I would get. I, I got you know I pounded out that show very quickly. Now you could probably watch it on. HBO Go or probably just anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the roast episode is probably the most iconic episode. But if you just pick one at random, you'll realize a lot of it still holds up. He was really funny. And for whatever reason, he wasn't as famous, maybe because he wasn't like he never had like the Jerry Seinfeld, Paul Reiser, like network sitcom for seven years. Mm-hmm. But, he, you know, every single comedian thought he was like the funniest guy on earth. Right. Yeah, he did have the uh, It's Gary Shandling show in the 80s, uh, which had one of the greatest TV theme songs of all time. I've really had that in Can my head. <laughs> This is the theme to Gary's show, the opening theme to Gary's show. Gary called me up and asked if I could write the theme song. Uh, you know, uh, it's very. It sounds catchy. Yeah, it's very fourth wall. The guy, you know, uh, they talk about. You know, this is we're getting to the part where uh, where I start to whistle. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's very. It was a very meta show, and uh, you know, something like probably a little over my head. As a kid in the 80s. Was it before its time? Oh, definitely. Definitely. You know, how many seasons did it last? Because I'm not familiar with it. I'm at not all. sure. I, I don't think many. I want to say just three or four off the top of my head. But, you know, he would sort of like, uh, you know, pull back the camera and you could see that his house was like a set and he would walk into the audience and like walk backstage like during like that his house was like the sitcom set. So uh, very, very meta. The Gary Shandling show. And also, uh, of course, uh, Larry Sanders, which has gotten a lot of credit for being really the dawn of the single camera TV comedy, which I think that there might have been other things that might have predated it. But that's really the one that's, uh, that, you know, people have honed in on as sort of like the really the show that was a springboard for so many different people and also that format of comedy, which we see so much on TV. But did you get a chance to watch the Gary Shandling episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee? Uh, yeah, I watched it, I think, when it came out. I didn't rewatch it for, uh, you know, past his death. But what really you know, a lot of a lot of comedians really liked it. And we're tweeting about it this week. Is there anything that stood out to you about it? Well, yeah. I mean, Gary Shandling talks a lot with Jerry about death and dying. And the name of the episode is called It's Great That Gary Shandling Is Still Alive. Is that's the title of the episode, uh, which came out just a couple of months ago in January. And it's really interesting where Jerry and Gary are driving around. They end up going to the comedy store and like revisiting that. And they walk through the Radford CBS lot where they both were on, you know, in the 90s filming their shows. So it's really, really incredible. It's, you know, I found it to be, uh, you know, very touching. Gary is talking about Robin Williams and how he died. And, you know, they're talking about how he was, 
you know, they talked about on the news about how, you know, he was uh, he was so young, Robin Williams, and they were him and Jerry were talking about how they only say that about you if you die in your 60s. You, you know, you have to die in your 60s. You know, Gary Shandling was talking about how at the end of the uh, it's like a 20 minute episode. Really, really good stuff. They're talking about how like he had gone for a test and a guy at the uh, you know testing facility was saying like, oh, you know, I, I didn't know even know that you were still alive. <laughs> and, you know, Gary Shanley says, well, I don't know if they would break into the news if I did die. Uh, it's just like, you know, it's just like a lot of stuff of, you know, Gary Shanley talking about his mortality in that. Not that he was sick or anything like that, but. Uh, really, I suggest anybody who's a fan of his uh, go back and check that out. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, one, we'll, we'll end up being one of the more memorable uh, episodes of a comedian cars getting coffee. Yeah. All right. So with that in mind, uh, let's jump into talking about uh, the scofflaw. Let's go into the opening stand up where Jerry talks about people wearing glasses and the glasses have a strap. And he doesn't understand because he thought that glasses are for people who need to see. He doesn't really view glasses as an accessory. Boy, Akiva, how much have things changed in 22 years? Uh, definitely a lot. I don't think my mother has never taken a pair of glasses off her head that she doesn't need. I don't think she's ever worn them. It's just like, it, you know, it's been about 20 years of, you know, uh, glasses as a fashion statement. More particularly sunglasses have really, you know, become mm-hmm. in vogue. But uh, yeah, definitely. It's it's such an outdated idea. And, and as someone who wears glasses 24-7, it's not something I think about really. Like, I'm, I'm, and I'm certainly not offended as, as they imply. Like, I could care, you know. The more the merrier. If we all wear glasses, I look. Uh, I look. Did you? But did you see the picture I posted um, in yes, the in yes. the post show recaps comments? We were <laughs> we were talking about the Super Bowl twenty nine last week, and I mentioned my Super Bowl party, and I happened to find a, an old picture my dad had. My dad had of uh, of me, and in my head, I had like twenty friends there. Mm-hmm. But I'm a, unless a lot of people got cropped out of the picture. It was just me and four friends, mm-hmm. which is a little sadder. But each one of us has nerdier glasses than the next. It's kind of great. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I did something which I, it hasn't really paid off yet, but I thought it would be funny. A couple of people are like, which one was you? So, I, you know, I said I was the nerdy one with the glasses, which only <laughs> narrows down to four to the five. Yeah. You're not the but guy in the Chiefs so, jersey. I'm not. The, that's that's Andrew, my childhood correspondent. He's yeah. he's uh, he's a fan of the podcast. Yeah. The other guys I'm not in touch with, but I'm not I'm not the Joe Montana Chiefs jersey guy, but I'm the guy next to him. But uh, someone said, like, is that you on the all the way on the right? And I said, no. And I added him. And it was a guy that I had not. Sp- he like left after sixth grade and, and may, you know, moved away somewhere. Yeah. And I haven't I'm not like Facebook friends with him. I haven't seen him. I haven't heard from him. And I literally at, at you know, I tagged him on Twitter after not speaking to him for like 18 years or something. Yeah. Which I thought would be funny, but he hasn't responded. January 30th, 1995. You could check that out in our recap of the label maker on postshowrecaps.com. What kind of sandwich was it? It looks like a, a, a like a six foot hero sandwich, like a big deli sandwich. Okay. I could even see the restaurant on the on like the sticker from the outside. <laughs> OK, <laughs> by the way, with these uh, glasses, I would say that at least half the people wearing like those thick black rim frame glasses do not need them. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, maybe so maybe I should be offended as someone who is almost legally blind without my glasses. Like mm-hmm. I can't see, you know, I can't see the difference between like, my, you know, my my wife and the stranger from more than two feet away. <laughs> yeah. You're like the guy that Elaine buys the glasses from. Exactly. I would be walking. I would be my biggest fear when I would be driving uh, is uh, like my glasses falling off. That's mm-hmm. really my biggest fear. Like some people, it's that they would sneeze or something. Yeah. But I, I don't I don't know what I would do. You know, I, I literally can't say. I believe say. you I talked about this before on the podcast. When, Are you serious? Uh, I think it was 
when they talked about how that George was able to, it was the episode with the glasses and where George uh, didn't have his glasses and he was spotting those raccoons left and right. Oh, that's right. Me, I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe, is this apocryphal? Is this canon? I, I definitely said that, but I, it may have been a slightly different uh, context. Okay. All right. Well, let's get into this episode. And of course, uh, you know, appropriately this week, John Lovett's character is named Gary. Him and George are uh, talking in the opening of the episode. And so uh, he's talking about how, you know, George is like, hey, how come you never call me back? How come I've been calling you and calling you nonstop? Feels a little uncharacteristic of George, right? That he's George is chasing some guy friend around. Yeah, it's a little like, why does he care? I mean, it's obviously setting up something else, but it's not he's not yet jealous of the fact that Jerry is, you know, in tighter with Lovitz. So I'm not so sure why George is concerned here. Yeah. And so it turns out that he says, well, the thing I've been so busy with has been chemotherapy. That's a conversation ender right there. <laughs> right. And then meanwhile, we see also on the New York City street that there is a police officer with an eye patch and uh, he is about to uh, write a ticket for a car and somebody throws a bunch of garbage out the window of the car and Kramer says to the guy, hey, pig, and the cop thinks it's him. And then the cop is uh, turning around to yell at Kramer and then the car drives away. Yeah, it, it, pretty typical sitcom awkward situation, although it plays out much differently here than it would on like, uh, you know, suddenly Susan. Right. All right. <laughs> Boy, and uh, other than Kramer noticing the cop, I, the, the eye patch of the police officer really does not come into play at all. It doesn't. It's just it's like it's funny because, you know, it's they use it so Kramer could get an eye patch. But then what happens with Kramer's eye patch? When if you if you told me there was an episode, you know, we're writing, we're in the writer's room and we're like, oh, we're going to give Kramer an eye patch this episode. I would think like, oh, that's going to be really memorable. And it's completely not memorable at all. It doesn't pay off in any way. Right. It really doesn't pay off. I mean, I don't know if they were going for that, you know, that the scofflaw is the white whale and he's like Captain Ahab. And so maybe were they going for some sort of pirate theme with that, that he was hunting out at sea, hunting the white whale Seems like a little bit of a stretch because Captain Ahab's not really a pirate. Yeah, I mean, it's possible it's over our head, but if it was, they should be writing it for dummies like us. <laughs> okay, so Kramer is telling Jerry what happened. It turns out that, you know, Kramer hates litter, and that's why he said that, and he didn't explain it to the cop. He just got out of there. And so George walks in, and he says he needs to speak with Jerry privately, and this is really off-putting to Kramer. Yeah. Do you ever have, I'm like, does this happen to you a lot? I feel like when I was in high school or, you know, you, I'd be in summer camp, this would happen. But I don't think it happens to me as a grown up. Does it happen to you? It doesn't happen to me too often because I don't have two friends that would need to talk <laughs> behind my back. You need a third wheel think, in there. Right. You know I, when it will happen to you? When? Uh, when your kids are older. Mm -hmm. You'll be like, uh, you know, mommy and daddy have to have a conversation right now about uh, your behavior, buddy. So, uh, you know, but or like or just, you know, something happens. You need to discuss it and your kids are sort of like you know, leaning over you trying to figure it out. That's okay. also why it's, it's another good reason uh, as parents, why you should try and learn a second language. You can just like speak about the, your kids in front of them and they won't even know. It's great. I'll learn that. My kids I'll, know more languages than me, which is bad because they probably make fun of me to my face and I don't know what they're talking about. I'll see if my wife can learn Klingon. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Uh, can you periscope that conversation? <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait for April fools and ask her. <laughs> does she know what Klingon is and I will have much more respect for her if she doesn't I would say that she probably would know if you asked her what is a Klingon I think she would say oh that's Star Trek 
I think she would she would know what show it came from, but other than that, she would not know any fact about the Klingon. Well, you don't know you don't know Klingon though, do you? <laughs> no, no. Okay. And if you if you do, just tell me no and wait. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I I know I could not speak conversational Klingon. No. Okay, so you know a few words, but you're not fluent. <laughs> you could you could talk to the Klingon cab driver, but I'm not sure you, <laughs> you know. You could <laughs> read a book in Klingon. <laughs> All right, so uh, Kramer's saying, come on, you could tell me. And it's sort of a funny moment where Kramer gets George in a headlock. Like, come on, you're going to tell me next time, right? Right? Yeah, Kramer, it, there's a couple scenes in this episode where Michael Richards, like, doesn't really know what to do. Yeah. So he's just trying for something that doesn't totally land. Okay. All right. So Kramer leaves and George tells Jerry the, the big news. Hey, Gary Fogel has cancer. Yeah, and uh, Jerry uh, most certainly already knew. Yeah, he definitely knew, and George is really upset about this. Wait, hold on. You knew and you didn't tell me? Uh, There's a funny line about how, was he on his deathbed? And George said, no, he was on his regular bed. (laughs) Are you the type of person who would get mad if someone knew, like, some piece of gossip or information? I think it depends on what it was. Do you like do you like that? Do you like hearing like the inside scoop of that stuff? I mean, who doesn't like hearing the inside scoop? I, someone went someone went off the record with me on G Chat today. I was very excited. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, this is gonna be good. I was almost like, oh, are you getting divorced? Like I wanted something really juicy, but it wasn't it was right. more like work related. It's almost disappointing when then it's not something good. Yeah, oh no, for sure. And yeah, I, like once you're going off the record, I do think there's a minimum threshold. Yeah. Yeah. You no, know, it's like something that's actionable or, you know, like I want to hear you're getting divorced. You, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're uh, you know, you have like a rare disease. I don't want to hear that you have a rare disease, but yeah, you know, it's got to be something big, something big. That's good. That's good. And I'm good about keeping it on. So you're saying we can tell you and you'll keep it. You'll uh, if I G chat you uh, off the record, you won't tell you won't go tell, uh, you know, anybody about it. That's right. That is right. I think I have a good track record with this. But uh, oh, yeah. Give me 10 examples of secrets. <laughs> you have. Well, the thing is, I don't think you can come up with an example where. Where I did do this to somebody. That's true. Uh, but another thing is, you know, where, where they, they mentioned a few times in the episode, George keeps saying like, well, Jerry's not my wife. I don't have to tell them. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think the rules are? And you could lie if you, <laughs> you could lie here. if You don't want to say anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what do you think the rules are in terms of like, because sometimes I'll have like a friend, especially if it's a single friend, be like, okay, I'll tell you, but you can't even tell your wife. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, like I will keep the secret, but I'll probably tell my wife also. Yeah, it depends on what it is. And it depends on if my wife knows the person like, you know, I can assess that risk if there's any if my wife is a flight risk or any way is going to jeopardize the plan. Sure. There's any way of her knowing this could get back to somebody else. And I won't say anything to her. But if it's like completely like innocuous in terms of like, uh, all right, well, I could tell you because you don't know who any of these people are in this story. Right then I think that's okay. The downside is she won't care, probably. Right. My wife so. She's like, why are you telling me this? I've never heard of any of these people. I don't even follow sports. Why are you telling me that the Mets are trading Matt Harvey? Right. God forbid. So Jerry is, uh, you know, really, you know, uh, very funny. He was talking about how George's upset. And, you know, who the hell is he to not tell you about his life-threatening illness? And now, you know, uh, George wants to say something to him. Yeah, and this is one of the better examples of George really only think about himself like mm-hmm. this is you know this is almost like a cartoonish version of it yeah so elaine walks in and uh you know george mentions that you know he ran into gary and elaine knew he was the guy with cancer and she, she knew you told her 
Right. But this was this was uh, yeah, this was Elaine being the wife in this scenario and not George. Mm -hmm. And so we end up talking about George's poker face. Do you trust my poker face? Uh, Jerry Watson, do you ever win at poker? But, you know, in in the uh, when you ask me later, what's outdated? I feel like haven't we moved past? We know so much more about poker now. Like the idea of a poker face is like if you don't have a good poker face, you shouldn't even be at the table. Like, like the you know the worst players have good poker faces now. Right, but in 1995, I think that 99 percent of the poker that was being played was you know five guys sitting around a table that all knew sure. each other, and you intimately knew. Okay, he's acting different. I know his tells. I know uh, KGB what he's doing. So I think that whereas now today you're playing online poker, you're playing with strangers. So. I think that, right. you know, there's a much more like poker is a party game here. Sure. This is, isn't just pre-moneymaker. It's pre-rounders. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So Kramer comes in and he tells Elaine that he saw Jake Jarmel on TV. Yeah. And I don't remember Jake Jarmel being this awful last time, but he is really a nightmare in this episode. Yeah. Let's just retrace our steps with the evolution of Jake Jarmel. First time around, he was the guy where Elaine was editing his books and he did not care for her use of exclamation points as she was editing his book. Uh, then number two, they had gotten back together, but then he was in a car accident and that he she stopped to get the juji fruits and he called her out on that. <laughs> and that was the problem. Yeah, And he was like tolerable in those episodes like that. You know, that's a reasonable. He was pretty mean in the sniffing accountant. But in the Juji Fruits episode, in the opposite, he's pretty reasonable. Like that's he had a right. He was annoying, but like he had a right to be mad at her. Yeah. Here he's just out and out like in his post Elaine life has really not gone well. Well, Elaine says, you know, we had a really bad breakup. Is that canon from the Juji Fruits episode? Yeah. Because, you mean, was it bad? Because she says the Juji Fruits. So she's not talking about some inter, some a breakup that's happened between right. uh, the opposite. Do you remember that being a particularly talk. bad breakup for Elaine? You know, it's they have. So, I, I mean, I guess it may be because she liked him a lot. Like he was a multi-episode boyfriend. That's rare for Elaine. Yeah, he's on episode three right here. Yeah, that's true. And we don't see him again. But but the reason why Kramer is bringing him up is because he wants to get the glasses that Jake Jarmel has. He wants a new look. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, to the, to that extent, he goes to the eye patch later and even says he's willing to. He considered the wheelchair route as well. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Kramer gets online to sign Jake Jarmel's book. I wish we could have found out more about Jake Jarmel's book. Yeah, I feel like it was in there and it just got cut because it's so unimportant. But I agree. <laughs> I don't even we don't even know what kind of author he is, really. All right. Well, Kramer wants to know what kind of eyeglasses did you get? And Jake Jarmel says, I can't tell you that. And it's not because he doesn't know where he got them. It's because he doesn't want anyone else to have them. Kramer says that's peculiar. Yeah, that is. I mean, it's like the guy who won't tell you the family recipe. Yeah. Could you ever see a scenario with this? Like what kind of particular a-hole uh, does Jake Jarmel have to be? I mean, this would be I think this is a, a, a relationship deal breaker for me. If I had a friend who wouldn't tell me, even if he was like one of my closest friends, if he wouldn't tell me where he got his glasses from because he's like, no, I don't want to compete fashion wise with Wieneker. That, I mean, that's immediately we're done. I'm never speaking to him again. OK, let me ask you this. I'll at reply him 18 years later on Twitter. Let me put this through the Akiva filter. OK, let's say you had a friend who was just killing it in fantasy football. And you asked him, say, hey, where did you get your draft sheet from? And he said, I can't tell you. Is that the same? Okay. Are we in the same league? I would say yes. Yeah, then he doesn't have to tell me. I feel like then we're, that's like business. Then we're competing. Okay, what if he's just in your office? Yeah, if he were not in the same league, he could say like, I'll tell you, but then we're, you know, we can never be in the same league or whatever. But I, unless, unless this is his job, like if he is uh, one of these daily fantasy or fantasy or, you know, 
FanDuel type mm-hmm. guys. I think that's semi-reasonable. Okay. I don't think it really hurts him if he's telling like his good friend, but I would, I'll, ex- you know, I'll excuse him because he's probably paying a lot of money or, you know, some of these guys put like 15 hours of effort a day into their work. So to not reveal their secrets, I think is reasonable. Okay. But, you know, for a league where you're playing 50 bucks a head, if the guy's not in your league, you have to let him know. Why has this happened to you? Has somebody been like, no, I'm not telling you where I get my stuff from? I think that at the point where I feel like I was doing really good in fantasy, I feel like people were asking me. I was like more protective of my own sort of trade secrets. Well, back then, that back then, like there was a there was a knowledge advantage, whereas now we're basically all on the same playing field. Yeah. Everybody has the same information. Okay. You could use 20 apps to draft for you. And, you know, there's no, the person who knows the most, and the person who knows the least. There's basically no gap between them. Okay. So we go back to George and Gary at Monks and they're talking here at the diner. And George points out the attractive woman who is sitting in the corner reading a book. She never talks to anybody. George sets up. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, she is just always there. I, I guess, like, is, is this the first time he's seeing her? Do they know her for years that she just sits there and she... Like, have they tried to talk to her? I'm not sure. I don't know that she does not seem to be in any other episodes reading a book in the deleted scenes. Gary does try to go talk to her, correct? Yeah. And it does not go well. Right. And I feel like that maybe that's the impetus for him getting the toupee. Is Gary wearing the toupee when he tries to go talk to the woman in the corner in the deleted scene? So you're saying this is another example of the deleted scene influencing something that happens in the episode, but not referencing it. I think so. Interesting. So. I don't know if because Gary is not wearing a toupee at the start of the episode, but by the middle of the episode, he's going in for the toupee and to have it adjusted. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Now that you say the timeline, I think it makes sense. Okay, so Gary also mentions to George, hey, I talked to Debbie Babello. She says hi. Yeah. And really, of all my stances, I hate olives. I hate chocolate. I hate uh, not napping. The the my one of my top five hatreds is when people ask me to say hi. Mm-hmm. someone else it really it, my dad does it all the time he's like i was tell that person i say hi or, or people say say hi to your father i've never once relayed a hi message to my father right i feel like it's not it's just you just say that it's not really like expected did you say hi for me it could be like his eighth grade teacher who was resurrected from the dead mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like he came back just to say hi to my dad he would not get the message okay well george says you know i'm really hurt why didn't you confide in me about the whole cancer thing. And Gary says, well, you know, you can't keep a secret. You get two pair. The whole table knows. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, the poker references are pretty basic here, but uh, we never see them playing poker as a group. Do we ever see George playing poker? We see Elaine. We've seen poker. Jerry also have a poker yes. game in his apartment. We've seen Jerry Elaine. with random guys. And <laughs> yeah. we've seen Elaine with with ladies in the in the Scar Store Indian. So I don't know if there's ever been a poker game that George is invited to. But again, that he never wins. So why would he play? Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so uh, George and Gary, you know, George is like guilting Gary into not telling him. And uh, Gary says, you know, okay, you're right. I was just thinking about myself. Okay, so we see Kramer again with the eye patch wearing police officer. And so, you know, Kramer ends up talking to him. He's like, I didn't mean to call you a pig. And we find out from the police officer that this was his great white whale, the car that had the most tickets in the history of New York for 16 years. He's been looking for him. He found the car yesterday and Kramer blew it. I like the idea that this cop is on such a specific beat <laughs> that he's just like, you know, like I understand you get assigned the homicide case, but the cops really gets assigned like specific parking ticket cases. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that maybe it's just like in his neighborhood, like he just patrols this area. Right. So this guy, I guess, always parks in his precinct. Yeah. So I don't know exactly what's going on there, but uh, Kramer likes the eye patch. He's impressed. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, not to sound insensitive, but I'm not even sure they'd let you be a cop if you had an eye patch. <laughs> I'm sure at some point you could be a cop with an eye patch. I'm not sure necessarily, you know, if and when that changed. Right, and and I'm not, maybe maybe I shouldn't say that you couldn't. Just that they'd probably give you, especially if it was something that happened in the job, they'd probably give you like the full disability. So you definitely wouldn't have to be a cop anymore. Right. Maybe you just love the game. <laughs> right. So I don't know necessarily what the rules are in terms of that, if there's any sort of discrimination, if you have a disability in terms of being a police officer or what is. You know, we don't have an NYPD, uh, you know, sort of correspondent, but we're definitely open to one. We're all definitely open to one because I feel like that, especially with considering like all of the different crimes that are committed on Seinfeld, I think that would be a good person to have on the roster. No question. Yeah. Okay. So we now see George back at Monk's with Gary. And so uh, George says he has to go because his meter is up. And so um, Gary says, hey, the company I work for, they own a parking lot around the corner. And there's a space opening up. I could get it for you. You just have to pay the tax on it. This is like a huge favor because parking spots, if they were sold, you know, they go for now they go for hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes. But, you know, then they'd probably go for ten, fifty thousand dollars. But this is their business. So it's it's like almost unlikely that they would offer George just a free parking spot. <laughs> yeah. OK, so Gary also picks up lunch and George is still after all this. He's like, well, you still owe me a secret. There's a lot of owing meals and owing. things. Yeah, he's a real banya with the secrets. That's true. And so uh, Gary says, OK, I'll tell you something. OK, don't tell Jerry, but I've been living a lie. And George responds with a good line of, uh, you're living a lie? Like, I'm living like 20. Yeah, it's a good, that is one of the better lines in the episode. It's bananas that that Gary, who knows that George can't keep a secret, wouldn't even tell him about his cancer, now decides that this is a good idea to tell George an even bigger secret. Right. It's almost like if this was like a double fake out where he tells George, okay, I never had cancer, but then he actually did. Like, that's almost like a good, like, uh, you see, this is why I can't tell you anything. But the, for him to actually have been faking that he had cancer and to tell, George, why would you tell anybody this? Yeah, this, this should stick, stick with you to the grave, which may not come as soon as people think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, it, definitely the last person I would tell is George. It is sort of next level thinking on your part. The idea of like, lie to George and see if he's trustworthy by telling him something like this, knowing that it's going to back to jo- Jerry. And then it'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. But he's just he's just, you know, a liar who's who now feels bad about it. And I he's mean, telling the truth. This is a life ruining story that if it got out there, then it would be no. End. And again, it would be a lot worse in 2016 than in 1995 because, you know, of the social media shaming that would be attached with this if you did this now. Oh, yeah, it would be it would be on like Gawker or something, you know, back then. It's just your small social circle would know about it. Now everyone would know about it. Yeah. I mean, it would be a huge story all over the place. People would be like posting it on Facebook and stuff like that. Uh, But, you know, for Gary, I don't know. He's insane, maybe. I mean, he's crazy. I still like him more in this episode than Jarmel. But uh, he's a little nutty. (laughs) Yeah. Also, so we see Kramer and Jerry on the couch. And so Elaine is there as well. And Kramer and Elaine are talking. And Elaine wants to know about the issue with Jake Jarmel about how he refused to tell Kramer where the glasses are. And she's like, see, I told you, this guy's a real jerk. Typical Jake Jarmel. Yeah, classic Jarmel. Classic Jarmel. And Kramer mentions that, hey, by the way, I told him you said hi, which I don't believe we saw on the screen. No, no, we did not. Yeah. And Elaine is incensed. What do you mean you said hi? I never said hi. 
Um, yeah. And again, I would be incensed too. Like if my dad was like, Hey, I saw your friend from high school. I said, hi. I'm like, no, no, you have to ask me before you say hi. Maybe I say hi. Maybe I even say more than hi. Maybe I want to say nothing. Yeah. Well, Elaine is so mad because she had the upper hand in the post breakup relationship. Akiva, is this a thing? The post breakup relationship. Yeah. We've talked about hands before and who has the hand in a relationship, but the post breakup relationship, it might be even more important to win the breakup, right? Which we've also talked about winning the breakup. I think, um, yeah, because when you're in the relationship, it doesn't matter. Like you win just by being in the relationship. It's great. Mm -hmm. Um, afterwards, you definitely, you want the other person. You don't want to see, you know, them posting on, on, you know, Instagram that they're going to the Cayman Islands. Like you want them to be miserable. You don't, you don't want them to, you know, you want to be in a better relationship than then. (laughs) Yeah. I I hear you. Even like, uh, professional athletes that leave uh, the sports teams you follow. Although you said last week that you don't root for any particular athlete. Do you root against them when they leave? No, no, no. Not re- unless it was like really uh, painful. Like, it, it pro- you know, it took me years to, you know, get over th- like Carlos Beltran. I definitely rooted against Darrell Revis when he left the Jets the first time. But in general, uh, I don't I don't take it personally. Listen, I would also go for, you know, the, you know, you got to feed your family. Okay. All right. So Elaine gets up. She's going to the bookstore to go see Jake Jarmel. It just Elaine is a smart lady. This makes no sense. Like you're just digging the hole further and further that she that he is winning the breakup. Like he doesn't care about you. Why are you doing this? Elaine's actions all throughout this episode are highly questionable. I don't know if Elaine is not feeling well. She makes a number of highly illogical and questionable decisions throughout this episode. It's true, but after a certain amount of times of us saying that, I feel like we've said that a lot. Like <laughs> Elaine isn't being herself. Maybe this is Elaine. Maybe she's just a little bit erratic. On her best day, she could hang with anyone, but on her worst day, she's just as bad as George. Yeah. Okay. So we end up seeing uh, Jerry uh, with George. Uh, that George comes in, and uh, Jerry wants to know how things are going, and George is being very, very coy and awkward. He's showing his poker face. Yeah. And George clearly cannot, uh, you know, he, he, as they said, he cannot hide anything, you know, especially from, you know, someone like Jerry, who's known him his whole life. He's got no chance of holding it in. Right. And he said, no, 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 it's my regular face. And uh, I like that, you know, Jerry sits across from George at the table. He's like, all right, what do you got? What do you got, George? A pair of bullets? What do you got? Two pair? Three of a kind? <laughs> yeah. Jerry really knows George better than George knows George. Yeah. He's like, you got a flush? You got a flush? <laughs> he's like, no, no. <laughs> A full house, come on. <laughs> and then finally, like, he just like rips his glasses off. He's like, uh, Gary Fogel never had cancer. <laughs> it would have been funny if Jerry's like, I know. <laughs> yeah, that was the test. That was the test. But I, I think that this is probably the funniest scene in the episode. Yeah, it, it's a little subtle, but yeah, he does really work him, Jerry. I do think it's like a great. Look at their relationship. I agree. It's a good scene. Yeah. I have a second favorite scene, uh, which happens at the uh, the hair clinic. Uh, I think that might be a runner up where Jerry. Wow, that's my least favorite scene. Where Jerry berates the guy. (laughs) But uh, this is this is really good. We'll talk about it. That's funny. And it's worth mentioning. I think we have a new record holder for scenes in in an episode. I think we're uh, we're, we had 25 this episode. New record. Wow. Do you count those or you go online and look at it? No, I, I uh, write my notes by just like I make a number. So well, look at you. Yeah. So we see Jake Jarmel in the bookstore. He's still signing. And Elaine comes up and says, hey, just so you know, I never said hi. And Jake Jarmel is like, oh, well, uh, you still like me. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the rule for exes is like the more you bring them up, the mm-hmm. more you, you know, you can't get them out of your head. 
But actually going to see them, you know, going across town, going to the book signing is crazy. And also like nothing more sitcom in this episode than the while, while Elaine is yelling at Jake Jarmel. And the guy's like, I've been waiting all day to get my book signed. And first of all, there's only like eight people in line. <laughs> right. I don't know what Jarmel exactly is signing. If he's like writing a book for each person. But then Elaine signs it. And the guy appears to accept that as a signature and go away. Because he's not standing there the rest of the scene. No, it's a really funny moment. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, okay, I guess I just get the ex-girlfriend signature instead of Jake's. And that's good enough for me. Yeah. Okay. So Jake Jarmel says, no, obviously that you coming down here is more of a gesture than if you didn't say hi. Yeah, you can't get one past Jake Jarmel. He knows that she's obsessed with him. So George is explaining to Jerry that the doctors thought Gary had cancer, but they did a surgery and he never actually had it. So, I mean, this isn't as bad. It's still really, really bad. Like, it's not, it wasn't a complete lie. He went through a cancer scare, but he liked the attention that he got and then just never told people he didn't have cancer. It's a little bit of a weird comedic decision because they are like, I wonder if they want him to be semi likable. Yeah. Um, you know, like because it, it definitely takes away a lot from the like, it's still a really bad thing to do. But but uh, he could, you know, if you were his friend, he could probably justify it to you. Mm-hmm. And he was just too, you know, he was too embarrassed or relieved or whatever. But there was a point where he thought he had cancer and then he just sort of never told people, oh, guess what? I don't. So I'm not sure why they it doesn't ultimately mean anything. Yeah, I think you're right. I just think that they said, OK, well, maybe you can't even laugh at this person who completely faked that he had cancer for no reason. Yeah, it's it may be too much. They may like they rarely do this, but they may have thought like, oh, we went too far. We have to dial it back. OK, so Jerry is upset now. He's been lying to me for two months and he wants to know what kind of person could do this. The only other person could do this is you and George. uh doesn't even uh, know if he could do it, but then uh, yeah, he could, he thinks he could do it. I think George could could you know he would do this for even less. Mm-hmm. He would lie for like a, you know a, a, like a Nestle Crunch bar. And so we find out that Jerry got Gary a lifetime membership to the Hair Team for Men just to put his mind at ease. Boy, this was a very generous gift from Jerry. You know, I think he says unlimited gift certificate, which is even bigger because lifetime membership is probably just like. X number of dollars a year, a thousand dollars a year. Unlimited gift certificate means you could like go there and buy a wig every day. It's unlimited. Yeah. How do they even do that? How do, do they just have your credit card on record forever? I don't how, do know. You, how do they enforce the unlimited gift certificate? I think they could have just gotten away with a two year membership to hair team for men or something like that. Yeah. But Jerry felt really bad. His friend was dying. Yeah. I, also, he probably figured if you do the lifetime gift and not like the annual if he only has six months to live, that's not that much money he's spending. No, you'd want to do annual because if you do lifetime, I think that's sort of like lump sum. I feel like you pay up front. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good point. Yeah. Anyway, so with George that he's telling Jerry, you can't say anything. I told him that you can't say anything. And he's giving me a parking spot around the corner for practically nothing. Now, Akiva, I want to talk logistics in the Seinfeld universe. At this point in time, where does George Costanza live? Yeah, it's a good question. Does he live near Jerry or is this just a parking spot near Jerry's house that he's going to have? I think for it to be useful, it has to be near George's house. So I'm going to say he lives on the Upper West Side near Jerry right now. But okay. That's never really been directly said, I don't think. Because he even when he lived at his parents' house in Queens, he was still at Jerry's house just as much. Yeah, but you still want the at the end of the day when you park you know, the important one is when you go home for the night and that's when it's tough to get a spot. 
Well, so you want to, it's not like he's sleeping on Jerry's couch a lot. So well, it just seems like that maybe it's for him visiting Jerry so much. I, I just don't think that would be as you, I, I don't even know if he'd pay $50 a month. Like if he'd pay the tax just to have a parking spot near, near Jerry's apartment, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, this is a question for Larry and Jerry, certainly at the time of season Oh yeah, that's six. a good question. Where, you know, where does George live at this point? Yeah. I think that's, that we could really nail down. In season six, when George is working for the Yankees, where does he live? Does he live uptown because it would be closer proximity to Yankee Stadium? Your thing, a little micro. I want them to make a chart of like all of his apartments, what streets they were on. Chester doesn't know this. I think I think Larry should, you know, basically have to make up some sort of spreadsheet before he comes on. <laughs> sure. We'll send Chester to work with him. We'll send Chester and Sean Falconer. They'll, they'll work it out. <laughs> Okay, so then uh, Jerry, uh, you know, can't call because of George's parking spot and, you know, says, hey, you have to still be nice. Yeah, and it's funny. He gets like the, you know, they do this, but rarely where, uh, you know, you'll see in the next scene where Jerry gets the bubble in his head that George saying you have to be nice. Mm -hmm. All right. So Jerry is at lunch with Gary and uh, Gary is talking about the new hairpiece that he has got from Jerry from Jerry's gift certificate. How do you think it looks, Akiva? I think I think the wig is fine. Um, I kind of actually like George's wig. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a hot take, but like I, I think George's wig looks pretty good on him. I'm not sure if it's supposed to. Yeah. You know, George is supposed to think it looks good, but I think Gary's is just OK. It's just OK. Uh, one of the things about Gary that I like, he adds the word Jack to a lot of sentences, uh, which I think is kind of funny. Yeah, it is. He has like he's trying to make it a thing in this episode. It definitely <laughs> never became a thing past this episode. It wasn't like. People were calling each other Jack on the streets, but it works for a minor character. Yeah, Righto, Jack. <laughs> so Gary is also talking about how he's thinking of getting his fillings done because the mercury is toxic. Is this a recovering from cancer thing or is this just the next thing he's thinking about? I, I really have no idea. That didn't make it, it. It was just showing like that that Jerry is still. They needed something where, like, how can we show that Jerry doesn't want to be nice to Gary, but is nice? Mm -hmm. They came up with the most arbitrary thing on earth, basically. Yeah. Uh, and Gary says about Jerry's fillings, you're loaded. Does it mean Jerry has a lot of fillings? Yeah, I think he has a lot of fillings. A lot of mercury in his mouth. <laughs> okay. So then Jerry is hearing the voiceover in his head. You have to be nice. You have to be nice. And uh, Gary, luckily, he's uh, distracted enough to say, hey, hey, look who's over there. He calls her Miss Cool Toes. Check this out, Jack. And he goes and talks to the woman who reads in the corner. Uh, yeah, I don't think he calls her Jack, though. I don't think so. He, maybe that's what gets her to talk, because this is the woman who doesn't talk to anybody who we find out later that Gary did win over. And again, he has this sudden confidence from the toupee. Yeah, toupees will do that to you. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about this, you know, the mid 90s, like lady by herself in the in the coffee shop reading a book. Um, I guess I guess that happens. Like now they just be on a laptop. But now it's. It's just so de rigueur now that you wouldn't even like bat an eye. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be like, hey, that guy doesn't talk to anyone. It's like he's there. That's like where he works. Right. You know, the half of every Starbucks is people like that. So Kramer ends up walking in now. He's wearing the eye patch. And uh, Jerry says to him, like, uh, you look like a pirate. Kramer wants to be a pirate. I want to be a pirate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Jerry, then uh, he meets Gary, who comes back. And uh, Kramer now has like no depth perception and uh, can't shake Gary's hand. He also has a very funny pratfall when he falls into the booth. Uh, yeah, I would. You know, you could imagine it's funny that he's not the one who ends up being involved. Like he doesn't get into the car accident with his pirate eye. Mm -hmm. You think maybe that they could have tied that in somewhere that he's involved in an accident. But there's yeah, he, no yeah. payoff to Kramer, the eye patch, 
his involvement with the story. I mean, there's a payoff to Newman uh, turning himself in for the tickets, but in terms of Kramer and this storyline, there's nothing for Kramer to do here other than, you know, have some, you know, funny business with the eye patch. Totally. And sometimes it does feel, especially I think because Michael Richards, we've established is a little bit sensitive Mm -hmm. that if he's light, they're giving, that's probably why he's like giving George the noogie at the beginning of this. You know, if he's a little light, they're trying to give him pratfalls and little things Yeah, because he's probably 10 times more difficult as an actor than the other three guys combined. All right. So George is driving around with a woman. I'm like, who is this woman that George, like, did they already introduce her? And it turns out that this is the Debbie that, that in a in a passing line, Gary said that she said hi, and you know she seems impressed with George. And uh, this is John Voight's car, and uh, George says, you know, I Gary said you told me hi, and she didn't say that. She sent her regards. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a little strange. Like she cares enough to go out with George, like on the town, but you know it's not a date. She's insistent that she didn't say hi, and that she just gave regards as if it's a big deal and, and mm-hmm. a real difference. I'm not exactly sure. Like, I think that Debbie, maybe she like, she didn't realize George was bald, you know, like she was expecting something else. So now she's calling an audible at the line of scrimmage. I'm not sure. But she knew who George was. I mean, when did she know George? Could she be like a college friend, though? You know, he didn't have to be, you know, bald 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Did George go to college with Jerry and Gary and he stayed in touch? Well, with he went Jerry? to college with he went to high school and college with Jerry. OK, so they could know. I feel like it would they would say it if. Gary was a high school friend. I mean, Kramer doesn't know Gary. Mm-hmm. So he's, it's not like a around the neighborhood friend necessarily. So I'm going to guess it's like a college era friend. Okay. So then we see next Elaine in the cab and she's talking with the cabbie about how Jake Jarmel is smug. The cab driver also hates uh, smugness. But then Elaine sees a guy, Hawkeye Bennis here. She sees somebody who has the same frames as Jake Jarmel. She gets out of the cab to go run it. Yeah, truly an amazing catch. <laughs> I'll say. Um, and, uh, and she, uh, yeah, she really hunts this guy down and he thinks nothing of, uh, selling his glasses to a lady on the street. Again, we have no idea how much she paid for them. He says that he got them in Malaysia, but he really can't see. And he says they were expensive and Lane says, Hey, let's start the bidding. How much do you think Elaine ultimately paid for these glasses? You know, it's, it's 1995. He says they're expensive. They're foreign glasses. They're expensive, but he also admits that he's about to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's going to buy a new pair, which for glasses, it's not like a car where you trade it in. Like I have he lost a lot of leverage there. Yeah, he did lose leverage in the, you know, he's, I mean, again, he's not exact. He hasn't exactly spent the day preparing for this negotiation. <laughs> this is, you know, he's accosted on the street, but you know, if you're a glasses where you like having multiple pairs, I'll never just, you know, I'll try not to have one pair because if that breaks, then until you get your new pair, you're, you're blind. You have to find contacts or something. Um, I'm going to say they were $500 glasses and she's giving him 250 for it. Okay. 250 you think that gets the glasses now you don't wear glasses right yeah um i'm trying to like so if someone said let's say you were wearing an undershirt and you're near your house Mm -hmm. if somebody's like oh my god i love that shirt i'm obsessed with uh plaid or whatever whatever it would be plaid undershirt not not, no no no, you're i'm saying like you're taking you're giving him you're selling your shirt hypothetically the shirt off my back giving you an undershirt so you're not walking around your neighborhood without a shirt completely Uh, uh, I, i would have a shirt on underneath the plaid shirt under Almost any circumstances. So you have two shirts on at all times. Well, sometimes I just have a t-shirt on. Okay. Yeah. You have, you have some, you have something that would be reasonable to be outside your house in. Okay. You're walking the dog. Okay. Would you, under any circumstance, sell your clothing off your back to this person? Well, make me an offer. If some guy, let's say your shirts, I don't know what your shirts cost. Let's say, let's say $30. 
Depends if I like the shirt. I mean, I probably would. You could probably buy a new shirt. I it's could also buy a new the, shirt, the, but it's possible. The economy's a little different now. Like, even these Malaysian glasses, you could probably just go online and find some. Right. I, I would say it's very possible that if it's a shirt that I like, it costs more than $30 in the first place, and I wouldn't have a shirt that I like. So. I'm sorry for understating your, your fancy wardrobe. I don't know what, again, as I said in probably like the first five episodes, I've never gone clothes shopping. <laughs> so I don't even have like a, a gauge of what I just thought shirt. as an adult... That you knew, you know, the average what, price like, of, of a shirt. Shirts were, but I don't know where, what like, uh, like a Banana Republic or like a Gap shirt, where I don't know where you, maybe you, maybe you're going fancy. I don't yeah. know where you're. $30, $30 to get you a pair of socks at the Banana Republic. Oh, well, also you live in LA. I feel like that's super expensive. <laughs> um, so I guess 60 bucks. I don't know. It would depend how much I like the shirt. If it was a shirt, if it was a shirt I didn't really like, I'd say fine, $60. Oh my God. Now I know why people want a minimum wage in California, $15. It's $30 for a pair of socks. <laughs> if you go to the um, Banana I, Republic. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, um, okay. So you, you wear expensive shirts. So if I, you're $100. I don't wear expensive shirts, but I might have a shirt that costs, uh, you know, uh, $30, $40, $50. Okay. So your shirt is 45 bucks. It depends Would which take, one. Not everyone is that. All right, but let, we're just, okay. This is an example. $45. Would you take $100 on the street for your shirt from a stranger? It, it would really depend also if it was one of my, you know, f- you know, is, is this like top of the rotation? Is this like the, the Matt Harvey it's of shirts? It's not your ace, but it's like your Stephen Matt's. It's like your number four shirt. I mean, probably not for $100. I mean, okay. it's very hard to find shirts again, that you like. It's like a weird transaction. He's got to take out his wallet. Yeah. You have to take I mean, your you're shirt, probably like, getting mugged in this uh, scenario. Oh, yeah. Too. That's what I'm saying. So let's say it's like a little old lady. Okay. She wants it for her grandson. 200 bucks. So you're selling your shirt off your back for 200 bucks. Probably most of them. Yeah. Okay. I, I think, I, I think I would. Yeah. My problem is that I don't know what my shirts cost. So I might be losing money on the deal. Right. <laughs> Somebody could get a great but deal also, on you, shirts. I feel like used clothes. Once you take it off the lot, the used clothing isn't really valuable. Mm, yeah. But I'm wearing another shirt underneath it. It's almost like a shirt. Why do you always wear two shirts. <laughs> I always wear two shirts. Maybe I should wear, start wearing two shirts. I mean, I wear, I typically will wear like a t-shirt and then I'll wear like a, you know, other shirt over it if i'm gonna you know wearing some sort of like a button-up shirt yeah i'm not a big i'm not a big two shirts guy i don't know I mean, most people wear two shirts i don't know what most people do i mean you said you wear undershirt right well i don't well also i wear uh you know you know we're gonna get into the whole jewish thing here uh I, but i wear like a like a garment under my shirt usually and so that's like it's 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 a basically an undershirt okay so you wear so two it's shirts like so yeah, but so I wouldn't wear like another undershirt, even though I think you're supposed to. Because you'd be wearing three shirts then. Then I'd be wearing three shirts. I do think you're supposed to wear an undershirt under it, but don't tell God. I usually <laughs> I won't say so it's a lot of shirts then. Even God doesn't always listen to this podcast. God is like nine months behind on these podcasts. Yeah, that's true. He's trying to catch up. He's, he's catch got a up. lot. He's got a lot of doughboys in his queue. <laughs> All right. So now George and Debbie are driving and they're arguing about whether or not this is even a date. What about the regards? That didn't mean anything. Well, why did this woman even send regards to George? She seems like she doesn't not even like him. Why'd she agree to go in the car with him? Yeah. Like, I don't, and she she must have been sold the false bill of goods. Gary was probably like, oh, yeah, George, he's doing great. You should go meet him. I just ran into him. It's like, oh, tell him I say hi. Not mentioning that he's bald. <laughs> that he, you know, he's, he, you know, I mean, I guess now he's in a better position, like, you know, this year that he's, he's not unemployed anymore living with his parents, but yeah. still, you know, I don't, I don't know what Debbie's motivation is here. And she's really also like a zero payoff character. Well, I wonder if the motivation is like, okay, I'll do this for Gary just to get closer to Gary, because how about this bombshell? She didn't have feelings for Gary until he got sick. 
but he was so brave. He gained such wonderful perspective on life. I fell in love with him. So she's obsessed with Gary. So she's dating sort of or or, or she says she not has dating. a huge crush on him that she wants to date him. And this is pre hairpiece Gary. She hasn't even seen Gary with a hairpiece yet. Well, he's a hero. He yeah. beat cancer. Now that Gary is post cancer, does Gary have the pick of the litter in terms of dating? Is it terms of like Gary pre cancer probably did not have a lot of success in dating. But once that Gary got the supposed diagnosis, then do you feel like that this opened up a lot of doors for him dating wise? And that was why it was one of the reasons why it was so hard to tell people because once he tells people, Hey, I'm fine. Um, you know, is he worried that he's not going to have these women who want to date him anymore? I think it general sympathy more than just like, you know, using it as a pickup line. Like people cared about him and he probably got used to that. I don't know if it was specifically like that women like that. I don't even know if that like I don't I mean, I guess like the sympathy works. I don't know if it works long term, like now that it's in remission or it's totally gone, the cancer. Well, it comes down to do you feel like that there were women you know, again? This is this woman is saying that he gained such wonderful perspective on life. Maybe he had that wrap down of like, hey, I've got cancer, but it's not slowing me down. I got a, you know, carpe diem. And, you know, I'm out there and I'm living life, you know, every moment, make it all count. And they're like, wow, this guy is really good perspective on life. And maybe he just had that rap completely down. And that's why he's having such an easy time, you know, meeting women. Yeah, it's probably yeah, it's probably just where he was at in life more than, you know, them just being. uh, Yeah, I'm not sure. It's a good question. Okay, so Kramer and Jerry have an interesting conversation here. They're talking about the whip. In Congress, what does the whip do in the Senate and the House of Representatives? And Kramer, it's almost like he's doing stand up here. And again, this speaks to your point of did they try to shoehorn funny material in for Michael Richards to talk about in this episode? Right. Where right. it's if like, they really wanted funny material, once they established what the whip does, they should have told us what the nene does in Congress. Right. I'm, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> But doesn't this feel like either this is like a piece of like Larry David stand up? Yeah, it's or, like Jerry. It's this is Jerry's rejected uh, stand up bit, or yeah. maybe less. I mean, it's I almost, have a game for you, Rob. Yes. Okay. So he talks about what the whip does. First of all, do you know what the whip does? I believe. I mean, in terms of what I've learned from House of Cards, I believe that the whip. Uh, I don't think that Kramer is far off. I don't think that they actually whip no, people. He's right. He's right. But I think that they, they crack the whip. Yeah. Yeah. They're Literally. like, like if, if you need, you know, fifty-one votes. Uh, to win, a, you know, to get 51 people to get a vote. They're the people who are making everyone come in line, making sure they're voting with, you know, vote, voting, you know, they're voting with uh, part, on party lines. Okay, here's the game. It's called Guess the Whip. Okay. I have, uh, you know, there's two rounds to this game. Very quick. Uh, we, I have the Senate. So I'm going to name you. I'll do it in alphabetical order for both of them. Mm-hmm. The Republican whip of the Senate, the Democratic whip of the Senate, and a fake person. Okay. And you have to tell me which one is a fake person or, or, or how about not a fake person, but which one is not in the Senate at all and which one is. Uh, OK, which. OK, so we have alphabetic order. We have John Cornyn, Dick Durbin and Milt Palacio. Dick Durbin. I've definitely heard that name before. So I'm going to say that he's in the Senate. What are the other two names? Or I, John he might Cornyn be in that. Yeah. And Milt Palacio. Well, one more time. John Cornyn mm-hmm. and Milt Palacio. 
I'll say that John Cornyn sounds more familiar, but maybe it's just that uh, Palacio sounds more odd, and I don't feel like I've heard that before. So I'll say Cornyn. Okay. Yeah. So Cornyn is a Texas Republican. He's the uh, majority whip. Dick Durbin is the minority whip. And Milt Palacio was on the Boston Celtics. Okay. All right. Good. Yeah. I couldn't have told you who was in which party, but I kind of feel like I, yeah. I had heard the names. Yes. Okay. Now we have. Now we have uh, the House. Oh, wait, uh, the House of Representatives, please. You're not going to get them, you're set. <laughs> uh, give uh, me the have, names. Give me the names. Okay. We have Steny Hoyer, John Conkak, and Steve Scalise. I've never heard of any of those people. Um, I have no idea. Okay. Steny Hoyer I've heard of. I, I, when, when they said whip, I was trying to think who the whip was now. I forgot that uh, the House and the, and the Senate have, but that was the only name I came up with. So his, his name, for every reason, my mind associated with whip. So he's the Democratic whip. Steve Scalise is a Louisiana, Louisiana Republican, and John Conkak was a white guy for the Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> okay. All right. This has been the first and only edition ever of Guess the Whip. Guess the Whip. All right. So Gary comes back from talking to the girl who never talks. He says, oh, she won't talk to anyone, huh? Oh, no, she won't say a word to anybody? Well, she's talking a blue streak now, Jack. Yeah, a lot of Jack. <laughs> Did the Jack thing start when he gets the hairpiece? I'm not sure if he said, you know, I wasn't paying attention. It does seem like it comes out of nowhere. So it's possible in the first scene or two with Greg, we don't, with Gary. He's definitely not dropping a lot of jacks in the beginning of the episode. Yeah, He's more down in his luck. So I do, you're probably right. I do think he's at some point he's gaining confidence. Yeah. So apparently uh, he says it four times. Uh, The first time is when he talks about, look who's over there. Miss cool toes. Check this out, Jack. So. I do think that that's a thing that he dons the hairpiece and all of a sudden now he's like a, a total douche. It's true. It's possible he started off nice and he went full. He went full. douche. He, he broke bad, basically. Yes. <laughs> so very, so the, the starting point of both stories is very similar in Breaking Bad. It's like, oh, I might have cancer. And then it goes off in uh, different directions, but a similar trajectory. It would have been a very different series, Breaking Bad, if John Lovett starred in it. Yeah. Or <laughs> uh, if we would have seen, uh, uh, you know, Tim Watley with a hairpiece also. Yeah. John Hamm would have a lot more Emmys. <laughs> All right. So uh, then we see uh, the police officer. He sees the Dodge and he sees the white whale. He moves in. And then uh, we end up seeing uh, George. He's very frustrated uh, because he can't find a place to park. And so uh, Debbie tells him, hey, don't complain. You at least have your health. But then the guy that Elaine bought the glasses from, he walks out. George swerves. Big crash happens. And then uh, the scofflaw, Newman, is able to get away. Yeah, and even like this is like a good tie-in in terms of like it does work in the episode, but it still doesn't really... It doesn't really pay off. It's not funny, even though like they are they are sort of connecting everyone. It doesn't you know, they sort of get obsessed in in the later seasons with connecting things. And it almost always works. But when it doesn't, it's just like, okay, like I see they're all everything's connected, but it doesn't make it funny. There's no comedic payoff to the car accident. Not at all. Yeah. All right. And I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's because maybe ultimately they missed on the Lovitz character. I'm not sure exactly what it is. I I don't know if it met like I don't know if we're supposed to care about Lovitz, like if we're supposed to hate him, he's like a little bit neutral, aiming to, you know, leaning towards bad. I don't know. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so we're back in Jerry's apartment. Jerry and George are talking about, can you believe this guy sold his glasses on the street? I don't believe that Jerry or George ever find out in the episode that the guy sold his glasses to Elaine. I don't think that that ever gets connected. 
And if it was now, you know, nowadays, maybe they'd figure it out when they saw on like TMZ or wherever, like an author who wasn't so famous, you know, that version of TMZ, like world star hip hop or something like that, you know, like yeah, with world that star video hip-hop covers a lot of like book signings. Yeah. But I'm saying like that, they like fights, right? Yeah. Isn't there like, they'll put a lot of like brawls on there. Okay. So I think, I think the Jarmel Lippman brawl maybe makes oh. it onto some <laughs> site like that, or, or maybe a knockoff site of that. So <laughs> maybe right. there, maybe there's, you know, someone, someone posts it on Facebook and they see it, but you're right. I don't think they ever know about the glasses sale. Okay. So Jerry tells George he picked up the woman in the coffee shop because he's brimming with confidence from the toupee. And uh, George says, yeah, this is really annoying because that other woman fell in love with him. And so uh, George is saying, uh, boy, uh, he's really he says, wow. And he ends up like rubbing his hand through his hair and he sees uh, more hair fall out. So now George is thinking maybe he should get the hair piece, too. Yeah. And usually like Jerry or George or Lane are, are jealous because the other person's happy. But at least here there's like it's fair. They're they're upset that he's successful, but under false pretenses. Yeah, he's got a lot going on. And maybe to some degree, like, boy, maybe I wish I would have thought of this scam first, at least for George. Yeah, yeah George may feel threatened. Like he, this is he is the thing he's best at. And now Gary's the new guy in town and he's uh, one upping George because George has never pulled this off before. Okay, so Elaine goes to go troll Jake Jarmel once again. This is the longest book signing ever for Jake Jarmel. What is this like? I think day they four? said that he's signing for two days. Okay, so all the, the rest of the events in this episode are taking place in, in a forty-eight hour period. I think so. I think based on the book signing, probably May, until the final scene, which could be weeks later. Who knows? Okay, uh, Elaine tells Jake Jarmel she got them in Malaysia. Do you feel like did he get his in Malaysia also? Yeah, because otherwise you'd be like, oh, that's not where I got him from. So I, I think that's where, you know, he went to get to Malaysia because he knows like, oh, nobody else is coming back here with Malaysian glasses. Yeah. So with that in mind, why can't Jake Jarmel tell Kramer I got them in Malaysia? Was Kramer going to go book a flight to Malaysia and, and go scour the country for those glasses? No, but there could be a guy like downtown Manhattan who has like a Malaysian glasses hookup. Okay. He might not have to go to Malaysia if he's willing Bob to Sacramento. Yeah, Bob Sacramento knows a guy who knows a guy who will get you glasses from Malaysia the next day. Okay. All right. So we end up seeing Kramer with Newman, and we get to see Newman for the first time uh, in the episode that they're driving. And uh, they, you know, are basically talking about Newman, how he owes all these parking tickets, and he can't sleep at night. Kramer's telling Newman he has to turn himself in. You really see a human side of Newman here. Yeah, human Newman. And ultimately, you know, I feel like we're going to get to the court, but really no major payoff in Newman with the parking ticket story. Not at all. And the scene is a little reminiscent of the scene uh, very early on in the series where uh, when Kramer wants to be a businessman. Right. And they go to uh, in the ticket. Right. Where where Kramer wants to be a businessman and they go to court. It's it's definitely the same court set. It feels like. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I don't think it's the same judge, but it has the same feel. And similar to the ticket, there's not a ton of payoff. Okay. So George and Jerry are walking and uh, they're going to go try on some hair pieces for George. Uh, Jerry is trying to talk him out of it and says, you ever see one of those things? And George thinks that, well, the ones that are good, you don't even notice. Jerry is very anti hair piece. It's very easy for a haired person to say it about a non haired person. Yeah. To the point of, hey, don't do this. This is bad. It's almost like, does Jerry like keeping George down? Oh, totally. No question. 
He likes to be superior. I, mean, I have yeah, hair. They're, not, they're never fighting for the same woman ever. Mm-hmm. You know, he feels like he could put, he likes George, but he feels like he has the hand in this relationship. That's and he right. might not if he gets hair. Okay. All right. So we see Elaine and Mr. Lippman over in Monks. And Mr. Lippman is talking about how he wants to start up his own publishing firm. And if the Jake Jarmel book does what he thinks it's going to do, then it'll get off the ground. There may be a job for Elaine. Elaine is very excited because uh, that she's uh, tired of working for Mr. Pitt and she's wearing the glasses. Mr. Lippman likes Elaine's glasses and he wants to get a pair like them. She says, oh, just take them. So take the glasses. They're for, they're for you. And now Mr. Lippman. I, w- I feel like there's a lot of in the series, like a lot of uh, potential employers taking bribes. <laughs> Like you'd get fired, you know what I mean? Or like a real job. Like you can't like, oh, this is like almost a job interview, right? I guess like, so, hey, if this happens. They've known each other for a while. I don't think that there's any impropriety I, here. I guess, but it's still like she is bribing him. It, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but uh, it, it's an interesting move. Yeah. But how short-sighted, and not because she's wearing these, this guy's glasses, is Elaine here, where Mr. Lippman is doing this deal with Jake Jarmel. At no point does Elaine mention to Mr. Lemon, boy, uh, you know what? Don't mention me around uh, Jake Jarmel because uh, the, he really hates my guts. We had a bad breakup. Maybe she did say it. Maybe she did. Maybe she did. Now, should she have said, don't wear the glasses in front of him? But maybe she wants to wear him to wear the glasses in front of him. I, I can't imagine that she would want that because she says, oh, this would be so great. I'm so tired of going around buying socks. At the end of the episode, when Mr. Lippman and Jake Jarmel fight, Elaine says, oh, I guess I'm back to buying socks. You know, she does not want Mr. Lippman's book deal to go kaput over these glasses. It's a good question. And again, the Elaine of the scofflaw has little in common with some of the sharper Elaines we see. But there's not a lot of foresight here. You're right. I mean, it seems so obvious that this is going to happen, that Mr. Lippman will wear the glasses and Jake Jarmel will flip out. You're right. This is a preventable situation. Terrible job by Elaine. Bad job by you, Elaine. She knows that that Livin is going to see Jake Jarmel, and Jake Jarmel will be incensed by the glasses. Here's the glasses, uh, Mr. Lippman. Go here. Take go. Take the murder weapon of to kill me and my career aspirations, and you know, go to town. Uh, yeah. I don't know, Elaine. Elaine, you get an F. Yeah. Not for not not for your storyline, just for your lack of foresight. All right. So Newman in the courtroom and uh, he's very upset and about how he has to now keep his car in a parking garage. Can they order this in a courtroom, Akiva? This is even more specific than ordering someone to be someone's butler. Yeah. (laughs) We've decided what's best for the city and yourself is that you have to keep your car in a garage from now on. We don't trust you to be on the streets. It's insane. I, I knew someone who was like a fancy businessman who got like tons of tickets and then eventually like him or really his wife would end up like going to the pound after he got like 10 tickets and having to pay like $2,000 fine to get the car back. And he just, you know, he said it was like the price of doing business in Manhattan. The, the idea that like a guy who had, you know, $50,000, like he's going to jail, maybe not for a long time, but he's at least like spending a night or two uh, in the clink. And I don't know why he's getting off without any sort of payment. I don't know why the judge is being so lenient with Kramer, who, with Newman, whose lawyer appears to be Kramer. I don't know exactly, like, what is this, like, small claims court that the city's taking him to? It doesn't really make sense. It makes no sense, especially when we find out at the end of the episode that the city 
is demanding that Newman get this parking spot that was supposed to go to George. This almost seems like this is a great deal for Newman by the end of this. It's an amazing deal. He's getting a parking spot. I mean, yeah, he can't afford it maybe on, on, you know, on his, uh, and his salary, but I don't know if, you know, he, he could have gotten off much worse. He could have had to pay like the, you know, the, the, the interest on the parking tickets right. would have been much more money. And once New York city says that Newman has to only park in the parking spot, where does he drive a taxi? Where does he go? Like, <laughs> obviously he's going somewhere when he's driving the car. So where is he taking the car to? What does he do when he gets there? Yeah, I mean, doesn't he have a separate car, uh, like a mail car also? I don't know. Like, it's not his work car. So how often he's taking it out? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so uh, we end up with the sentence of he has to go park in the garage uh, or his car is going to get sold in auction. Really uh, classic ending there. <laughs> and that's, you know, basically uh, all we see with Kramer and Newman and, and the cop in the scoff law. So, all right. So here's Jerry and George uh, with the salesperson. This is a scene that you said you didn't like. I thought it was probably the second funniest scene in the episode where George is now wearing the toupee and the salesperson is telling him how good it looks. Jerry is telling him how bad it looks uh, and is incredibly mean. He tells him he looks stupid. Yeah. And it's also awkward because you don't want to say that in front of like the salesman's face. Who also has a toupee. And this guy probably may. It's not like going to Macy's and like the saleswoman or man didn't make the dress you're trying on. Whereas here, this guy like probably did make the wig right. and you know, so it's very harsh to say it to the guy's face. And the guy who's also wearing a toupee and he's not, he's not just a, uh, the salesman. He's a customer too, or yeah, something. Like he's that. also a client. And so he's adding about how, well, we didn't, you know, design it to your head. And, you know, I don't think your friend is being helpful. And Jerry's saying, you know, I'm the only one being helpful. And, <laughs> You know, I like that the guy is getting mad and I always love it on Seinfeld when one of these bit characters has a tantrum and uh, this guy really flips out and he says, uh, all you people with your hair think you're so damn superior. You have no idea what it's like. You ever look down at the bottom of the tub and see a fistful of hair? You know what that's like to start your day? And then uh, I love it. All right. All right. Take it easy. <laughs> that always gets me. Melman wrote this episode and I believe he has at least some. Uh, hair. I don't know. He, he, I don't know if he, you'd call him balding, or I'm not mm -hmm. sure. But, um, but when you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, clearly the bald trauma comes exclusively from Larry David, who, who that's almost like one of the defining you know characteristics about himself that that he's bald. That comes up so frequently in Curb. Um, so you know, I don't know if he ever tried on a wig, but it's clearly something he thinks about a lot. Mm -hmm. So the, the so the idea of like a bald person hating a non-bald person and basically, you know, thinking that they're a bald racist is, uh, is something that, you know, he, he examines a lot of times. Yeah. All right. So now here comes Gary. He comes in and, uh, he says to George, uh, like, Oh, you decided to get a wig. Good for you, Jack. <laughs> or he calls it a rug. I think actually in that part. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is Gary concerned that George is going to hone in on his like former no. bald guy territory? No, he's, uh, he seems happy. Yeah. He, yeah. So that, again, Gary's like making like a, a mid, like half face turn here. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. He's really happy and he needs to come in for an adjustment. I didn't know that was a thing, but I guess it makes sense. But this is really mean, but kids are, kids are very cruel. And when I was in summer camp, uh, we would like, it was a big camp. So like, you'd have to take a van like to certain activities. Okay. So we would like drive in our division. We were like the oldest kids. We had our own van. Uh, and so like we would, there was a drama teacher and we didn't, we didn't have him. Like he wasn't our teacher, but he had like, everyone said he had a toupee, although I guess it's never been officially confirmed, but it's just like, you look at him. It's like, Oh, that's a toupee. And when we drive past him, 
the right half of the bus would yell out two and then the left half of the bus would yell out pay like with the windows open the whole time which in hindsight is really mean although to be fair like i feel like he probably was bald for like the first 10 summers and then like has this like luscious head of hair but kid the point is kids are very cruel and they're monsters and they should you know they're terrible mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah we would to pay on the right side and the left side yeah not nice <laughs> so uh we end up with gary telling george look i'm not gonna be able to give you that parking space uh the judge used it for some scoff law you can't fight city hall and uh, that George signals to Jerry that it's fine for Jerry to now confront him about the cancer. Yeah, I, I do like that. They're like they're both on the same page here. Like, OK, this guy's a monster. It's all, like George doesn't mind like being, you know, the bean spiller and Jerry can't let it in anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we end up with Jerry saying, uh, yeah, he told me about uh, the we had a little chat. And then it looks like that Jerry is going for the wig. I mean, is Jerry's like some sort of like Brutus the Barber beefcake where we end up seeing in the barber where he ends up coming after Newman and he's got like the clippers and then he goes after Gary here and is going to like take his uh, toupee off. All right. I'm still on the Brutus the Barber beefcake. Uh, Does Jerry do some sort of like bald shaming of people? Yeah, I do think like the bald shaming is is like a characteristic of Jerry. (laughs) And, uh, you know, again, this is like Larry's Larry's hatred. (laughs) He cuts all of Newman's hair off his head when he gets mad at Newman. He's like, okay, oh, you told me you had cancer. Well, I'm taking the wig. Now, again, maybe this is because we end up with a Jerry bought him the membership. Is Jerry like going to cash in or is he going to transfer the membership to George? I mean, Jerry, does does Jerry even have like the greatest set of ha- head of hair? I guess he does for, for a guy who's like 60 now, right? Yeah, he's doing okay. I mean, Michael Richards also has a nice set of hair. Yeah. So. You have uh, a set of hair? Can you have a set of hair? Mm, I could call it a head of hair. Are you, are you like very proud of your hair? No, no. Not proud of your hair. Not proud. How, how would you rate your hair? Is it like a five on a scale one to ten? Is it a seven and a half? I mean, I guess I'm doing okay. I mean, uh, not great. I, mean, I think great. anybody who who has, or like any man who has all their hair in their mid-thirties. Yeah, like I don't have all of it, Akiva. Don't give me too much credit. Okay, but like, like you know, but even at, like at a certain on for point, dear life over here. Was your mother's father, was he very bald? Yes. Okay, I think that's what they say, right? I've yeah. never seen that in like a science journal. Not that I've ever opened the science journal, but... Mm-hmm. I, I, but that's what every, I don't know if it's like the most famous urgent le- urban legend of all time or if it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. But, I think it could be, it could be urban legend, but hold it on for dear life. I, all I know is my, my mother's father started Columbia university at 17 without a hair on his head. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how much hope there is for me. <laughs> all right. So George now, uh, Fun ending uh, to the George storyline, though, in this episode. And a sign of things to come with this uh, toupee storyline in the beard where George walks into Monk's uh, gorgeous woman at the table. And George like looks over to her and uh, he says to her, how's your life? All right. <laughs> and she like kicks the chair to him. No? Yeah, she like pushes it out, uh, you know, seductively. Uh, she's like, hey, join me. George doing very well with the ladies in season six. Yeah. Doing pretty good. All right. So then we end up with at the uh, last shot with this. Uh, we see Lipman and uh, Jake Jarmel, and uh, Lipman is like reading out about uh, something about the book sales and he has to put his glasses on and Jake Jarmel flips out. Yeah, it is weird to basically end on two minor characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, the I guess the crux of, of what we're supposed to be taking away is that Elaine is not getting this gig with Lipman, who will keep reappearing in these sort of like 
random, you know, ideas that don't end up working. But that Elaine is stuck, you know, for the rest of the season with Mr. Pitch. And she says to herself, she mutters as she leaves, like, I'm going to have to, you know, go back to buying him socks. Yeah, got to go buy Mr. Pitt's socks. So Elaine really screwed this up herself. Yeah, she has no one to blame but Lainey. Yeah, so what are you going to do? Um, all right, let's talk about the scoff law. And let's talk uh, big picture. Again, I feel like that this is a really good setup for what's going to come in The Beard, which I think is probably going to be an overall better episode. Uh, some fun stuff here along the way anything that would be different from 1995 to 2016 yeah the glasses would be easier to buy um i do wonder if it would be harder for gary to keep the unless he deleted his social media i think he'd have to do that to keep the cancer thing going because i feel like his family probably would know and then he'd like still be getting all the sympathy stuff like gary i've been praying for you i hope you're better you know, I don't know how well that would work. He might, his spot might get blown up if he was on Facebook or Twitter. Mm-hmm. I think so. so. I don't think I don't think that works. So he'd probably have to delete the old social media. Uh, I haven't seen, you know, um, I don't know. I, I hopefully nobody's still saying hi and like giving regards anymore. If if I'm president, that's my one real campaign thing. Just no more regards. How about the parking tickets? Has that changed at all? They're just more expensive now. More expensive. Okay. And then it's like it, a big source of revenue for the city. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, then let's give our letter grades out for everybody here in this episode. All right. What's Jerry's story? What is Jerry's story? I mean, so, I mean, Jerry is like one half of the, oh, I knew Gary Fogel had cancer, but Jerry's also sort of like infringing on a little bit on the other. He's not really in the Jarmel storyline, mm-hmm. but he's like a little bit in the, you know, in like the, he's almost like the D storyline now that you say it. Yeah, I mean, he's part of the storyline with Gary and he has to be nice to Gary because now he finds out that this guy doesn't have cancer. I think that's basically his story. Yeah, I give it a D minus. A D minus. We can't even answer what the storyline is then, you know, I I don't know how we could give it a better grade. I know, but if if you write an essay for me, I'm an English teacher and I don't even know what you wrote the essay about. That's the best you're doing. Yeah. I'd say I'd give him a C. I'm not going to be as hard on him. What about George, uh, where he ends up getting the hairpiece? He ends up finding out about what's going on with uh, him not having cancer. Yeah, it leads to more fruitful stuff. I do like, you know, how mad he is. Definitely the beginning is the best part. And the scene with Jerry, like just the idea of him being furious that, you know, Gary, who had nothing else going on other than, you know, may possibly dying of cancer would would be so, you know, uh, you know, rude as to not tell George. Yeah. About his plight. So I give George an A minus. I feel that like George is definitely the highlight of the episode. Yeah, I think that that's maybe maybe a little too high. I feel like I'm more probably B plus. on a curve because I don't think anyone else is getting a good grade. <laughs> See, I feel like I'm not as down on Jerry, but I'm not as high on George. I really did like that poker face scene uh, that they end up having. All right. Let's talk about Elaine and Kramer, because uh, that's really, I think, what's bringing this episode down. All right. Elaine and the Jake Jarmel glasses storyline. It is a funny idea. It definitely, if you, if you wrote 10 different ways, I feel like it works five times. The idea of who's going to win the relationship, but it's not the focus of the episode. It doesn't pay off at all. And you know, it never pays off in future episodes. So to me, it's just almost an incomplete to a C. Okay. And uh, I would say, yeah, I don't want to be too hard on Elaine, 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 Elaine. I'll say C minus. And then Kramer and the scofflaw. Yeah, I mean, it's the title story, but it's definitely not the A story. Um, you know, Newman gets involved. I, I, you know, it, the idea of them sort of throwing a lost like twist that Newman is the white whale is really good, but it's too subtle. It's not like this great reveal at the end of the episode, which I think probably 
That should have been the reveal. The last scene should have been that Newman's in Scofflaw. Mm-hmm. It's not like they, who cares that they lose the terrible scene of Kramer and Newman talking about their feelings and how hard it is. And the even more irrelevant scene of the courthouse. I think if you end this episode that Newman's the white whale and him getting away with it, it just furthers, you know, they have this idea in wrestling of like building up the bad guy to make you hate him more. Yeah. And Newman is the bad guy in this series and especially in season six. So like for him to get away with the parking tickets, like it just adds a little more fuel to the, oh, Newman's horrible fire. So I feel like that's the way I would have. I don't know exactly how, but you definitely could have lost some of the fat. We mentioned there's 25 scenes in this episode. I ended with Newman being the white whale and then him getting away for good. What? Like, why did he have to get caught? I, the whole, I don't know. They were, they were too obsessed with tying stuff up. And, space and away, yeah. So ultimately, what do you say for Kramer? I'll give Kramer a C. C, I'll give him a D. Really didn't have anything going on. And really, I, I don't like that they named the episode The Scofflaw. No. Uh, the White Whale is a better name. You'd remember it. The Scofflaw is also such a weird word. No one knows what that we is. We already had an episode with the glasses. I don't know if you, you couldn't give away anything. The poker face would have even been better. Poker face. I like that. That's not bad. You know, something with gar- like the fake cancer, but I don't know if that's easy, you know, to sort of right. and it uh, gives away sum up the in episode. two words. Right. But uh, yeah, I said the poker face is better and the white whale is definitely better. Uh, and I still like the Super Bowl tickets for last week's episode. Okay. So Akiva, where do you rank this in your episode rankings? Does it crack the top 100? No, I don't think it does. I, I, if someone told me this was one of their favorite episodes... I'd be a little confused, but, uh, you know, I, if, if somebody said this, was, I hear it's somebody's favorite episode. Yeah. I would open up that article, but then my computer would crash. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you, if you post something on medium, you're not allowed to publish it anywhere else after. What? So if some like article want, you know, some site wanted to be like, Hey, like Grantland two comes along or like the ringer is like, Hey, I hear you have this Seinfeld article. I'm not allowed, even though it's like a blog, you're not allowed to sell it anywhere. You're not allowed to do it. Anything else. They have, they have the rights to it. Mm hmm. I don't know. We're not getting sponsored by Medium is all I'm saying. Probably not. Scam. Um, so I have it at 130. I feel like it's not this is is it, it doesn't have the exact feel of the like a season, an early season three episode, but it has sort of like the messy. We haven't figured it out vibe yet. So to me, it belongs with those episodes. So yeah. 130, I feel like it's fair. 130 is pretty fair. Probably a little low. I think that this is just, you know, average replacement level Seinfeld episode. Yeah, but but maybe we're like the VORP is so, high, you know, it's like we're not, the, the, the replacement isn't a zero. The replacement is like above average to begin with. It's mm-hmm. a team of all stars. Yeah. So Okay. So let's go ahead and get into our feedback. Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. Of course, uh, don't forget to send us feedback as well for our 100th episode recap or our recap of the Seinfeld 100th episode. It's not our 100th recap yet. No, that's confusing. I, I, I did say that every episode would be 100th. So this is like, I wonder, hey, I will. No, I was thinking, is it our 100th episode together? But I don't think so. Because I don't know. We have only done a couple off of the podcast. So it's probably like our 97th. So maybe it's like my 100th on the the uh in the rehab verse or something the how many people have you done a hundred podcast episodes with boy who's in the 100 club and is it depressing that i'm one of them yeah well definitely josh wiggler josh wiggler nicole is there anyone else and i would say at this point i think i'd say probably josh wiggler i'm not a hundred percent sure uh, well, actually, actually, it's unfair because the, the the evolution strategy, like you could count that as like a hundred, right? You recorded them in, or or even if you count it as thirty. Right. Josh imagine. is probably the leader in terms of hours. If you add up the Walking Dead, the Game of Thrones, the Survivor, I, it's probably at a hundred. We could, yeah, ask I me. think so. I, it's um, probably at 100. this week is going to be the Stephen Fishback and I, uh, or this is going to be the one hundredth Survivor Know It Alls on the Survivor podcast, but all 
100 were not with Stephen Fishback. So it's going to be the 100. And he's rarely on when it, that's not the know-it-all. So he's yeah. probably not. I don't know how many Nicole did, but he's so probably not. it. I, I feel like the number with Stephen is like 78. I feel like somebody said so. And Tyson's probably getting up there too because he's had, you've done that podcast for like a year now, no? Yeah, but probably not at 100. We're probably, we're probably. No, I'd say but probably, it's a weekly podcast. So you get there eventually. Yeah, I think we're probably about 70 or 80 podcasts with Tyson. So if, if the hundred, it's like, is it the SNL five timers club? Like, Dude, Nicole and Josh have to get me like a jacket that says a hundred on it. Yeah. I wouldn't wait okay. on it. No. Yeah. I mean, I, Nicole, who's never heard of me, I feel like is probably not getting the jacket, but I mm-hmm. all right. Like Wiggler's the treasure of the club. <laughs> all right. Let's get into the emails here and talk about everything that you guys had to say about this episode. Akiva, where do you want to start? Uh, well, we've been asking for a mailman correspondent for a long time. Yeah. And we finally got one. Oh, good. So Eric, the mailman, he writes in and he says, like many USPS employees, I've been putting, putting off writing to you to see if someone else would step, step up and take the task. But I can take on uh, the role as your mailman correspondent. I've been a city letter carrier within the USPS outside of Nashville for 10 years, and I can answer any questions you have about Newman and his job. To answer your question from last week, if Newman or any other employee can hop a ride on Postal Service planes, that was last week. Sadly, the answer is no, because the Postal Service doesn't have any planes. I'm, listen, I'm sure the CEO has got a plane. You just don't know about it. The USPS mm-hmm. largely uses FedEx planes to ship mail across the country. They pay FedEx for this as well, as well as delivering some of FedEx packages for them. This sounds like a scam. <laughs> if you have any past questions, let me know. I'll address future situations. All right. It's very exciting now that Newman's become a more prominent character that we have a mailman correspondent. Great. Let's take a question from Lindsay, who says, uh, first of all, in response to Akiva's call for weird wedding party stories last week. That was, you asked for that? Yes. Okay. I don't, I don't remember the context, but I did say... Uh, that if we had like a, cause there was a wedding you weren't invited, someone wasn't invited to, mm-hmm. I, I'm getting old. We've done a hundred of these and I, I, they're all blending in right now. Okay. So Lindsay says that mine isn't about being in the wedding party, but it is wedding invite related. Maybe you should save this for the end of season seven. But, uh, I had a friend who had only known for about three months when she got engaged. So I assumed I wouldn't even be invited to the wedding, but then I was invited to the bridal shower where I was linked to the registry and therefore supposed to bring a gift. And then the bachelorette party. It seemed reasonable to assume that, therefore, I would also be invited to the wedding. But as you can probably guess, given the story, I was not and was the only person at these events who wasn't. I don't go to a ton of weddings, but I feel like this isn't normal. Weird story addendum. I did end up being hand-delivered an invitation two weeks before the wedding. I can only assume some other people couldn't come and they'd already paid for the food. Now, now, Lindsay, she didn't tell us if she went to the wedding because I feel like the two weeks beforehand uh, invitation, it's almost like a like a you know, an insult. Now, I don't know if I would be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go out and get a dress or whatever for it. Mm-hmm. Although I should add, and I probably said this before on the podcast, that I forgot to invite one of my friends to the wedding and it somehow came up like two weeks before the wedding. And he ended up buying a last second ticket to Florida for the wedding, came and met his wife at the wedding. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, not that she was cheating on him. She was just at the wedding. No, I'm just kidding. No, they, they had never met before. And <laughs> That's a great never story. Met they- That's a meet cute if I ever heard one. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then we have nothing to do with them anymore, but I'm sure they're lovely people. I would say with this, though, typically you make the guest list for the wedding more than three months in advance. It's possible that the guest list was already set for this wedding and that it wasn't until cancellations opened up other seats at the wedding. Like if the, if you have a capacity of 150 people at the wedding, You've sent out, and you probably sent invites to more than 150 people because you figure you're not going to hit on everything. You kind of want to fill the room, 
right? So then it's like, oh, wait, we only have 140 people. All right, let's give Lindsay an, an invite. Right. It's possible. Right. Even if they hadn't sent out the invites, it, you know, they had at least planned. They may have capped their list. You're right. I think that's a good point. And so maybe she should be honored that they were scrambling to get. We got to get Lindsay in. I've known everyone else longer. So she's sort of last on the call sheet. But we got to get we got to squeeze Lindsay. in. I'm curious, though, if Lindsay went. I think we have one more wacky wedding story also from uh, Jessica. OK. All right. You want to give us that one? Sure. Uh, so Jessica says um, she was asked to be in the wedding party for two friends with whom she would not have reciprocated such a gesture. One of them probably wouldn't have even been invited to my wedding, much less in my bridal party. And oddly enough, I was saved both the expense and my lack of enthusiasm. And because my bridesmaid's dress wasn't ready in time by the cancellation of said wedding. So the wedding was canceled. She didn't have to buy the dress. Dodged a bullet. Yeah. Nice one. I honestly don't know what I would have done had I gone through with it. That is weird, right? Like, I I mean, what if I, I don't know, someone doesn't have any friends, but they have to have a wedding party. The second was slightly less uncomfortable, though, again, she would have been she would have been invited to the wedding, but not definitely wouldn't have been in the wedding party. The more bizarre part was that I just attended the bride's ex-boyfriend's wedding exactly two weeks beforehand. And I was the only guest invited to both weddings. Mm -hmm. It was a little awkward to be in pictures for both weddings, considering, I guess, they had they had previously dated. All right. So you're like they each got to keep the one friend. And that was you, Jessica. (laughs) Okay. Have you ever not been invited to a wedding and been offended? Like, oh, man, I thought I would be invited to that. You know, Maybe a little bit when Aris uh, recently we got married. Oh, uh, you're calling out Aris on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, no, I didn't even know. But I would have. But then, like, it was a destination wedding. I, I didn't want to. Oh, so wanna... you would have missed two podcasts. So you weren't going to that wedding. <laughs> you wouldn't have wanted to go to Tropical Islands for a few days. You had to do, like, probably an off-season Big Brother. Right, right. No, people can think and say, oh, well, I know how much you work. So I don't want you to. So. Uh, I would say well, that's what it is. The fans will actually get mad if you if you go missing for a few days, they'll get mad at the wedding person. Like, oh, we hope your wedding gets canceled. So yeah. Rob could do more some podcasts. people would be happy. Some people would be happy if I, there was no podcast. They say, good, good. All these podcasts. that I No. So like. like when someone sends a save the date, should they send you like bank some podcasts? For, so if you have to come to my wedding, you could just put some out there and, and no one will know you're gone. Yeah, it is very difficult. <laughs> very, very difficult. <laughs> Make some evergreen podcasts. Yeah. Nine months. Uh, I thought also Jessica had a good question about why is Elaine carrying so much cash in this episode? Or do you think that then this guy was near an ATM? I feel like people carried more cash back then. And now people, you know, I know a lot of people don't carry any cash. I I think it was a thing back then. People, especially like someone who grew up wealthy. Mm -hmm. It's not crazy for them to have carried a lot of cash in the 90s. Yeah. You know, I have to say that I never have any cash on me. And I feel like uh, that recently I'm sort of like, hey, maybe I should just have some you know, money on me in case I need and if I ever need it. Yeah. Don't you have to like tip valets a lot in L.A.? <laughs> I don't have to tip valets, but I do feel like, oh, hey, this is nice. I've got like, you know, 20, 40 dollars. Now somebody could just mug me now. And don't you yeah, don't you get like accosted by by like homeless people when you're walking the street and they ask for a dollar? I don't live any place where there's that many homeless I know. people. Well, you I don't live not really like house, outside. but I feel like there's a lot of like you go to certain parts of L.A. There's homeless people on the sidewalk. Yeah. I just feel like that it's like uh, nobody has any cash. I feel like, oh, nice to have uh, like uh, like actually money in your wallet. But it's better when you have kids because they're like, can I have $20 for school? And then like they're going to spend a dollar on chips, but you're never getting the change back. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. you don't have the money, yeah, then you could just say no without being a liar. Well, also, invariably, my wife will ask me like, like, oh, I need I need you to go to the ATM because I need $20 to give to a babysitter. And it's really it saves me a lot of trouble. Yeah, I'll do the thing where like I'll leave money in a book, but then I'll forget which book. And now it's I'll just never find it. Like, you know, you have the emergency hundred for like a babysitter or mm-hmm. like a delivery person or something. Yeah. 
All right, Johnny DeSilvera, he wants to know, why hasn't Officer Morgan looked up the license plate of the white whale to track him down? Surely in the 90s, there was a database he could have used. Well, this would be a great question for our NYPD correspondent. Yes, to be. Yeah, I think uh, there has, yeah, there's no way that they wouldn't have known who the person was unless like they had stolen plates or something. Okay. Maybe stole them out of the mail, which we know Newman does because he just admitted it last episode. All right. Eric also adds, George's comment of, I take exception to that. That's like me buying a wheelchair to cruise around in is some amazing foreshadowing to season nine's The Butter Shave. I love the idea of George eventually doing the exact thing that disgusted him a couple years earlier. So maybe there is uh, some uh, de-evolution of these characters as we go along. Oh, no question. Yeah. And and George also getting... Downward spiral. Him get George getting chased by, uh, by a man in a wheelchair also in season nine. <laughs> um... Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I do think uh, I don't think that they're they're planning it out. I think it's a little bit more like Lost where uh, they just come up with ideas and pretend that they thought of it the whole time. Okay, what about Craig? Uh, Craig says the real name for the man uh, the man who plays Officer Morgan is Ivory Ocean. Ironically, he's playing a cop looking for a white whale. That's such an awesome name, though, for a person. I agree. Uh, He's no longer with us, unfortunately, Ivory Ocean. But what an amazing name. Yeah, great name. And I don't know if Ocean was his real last name. Uh, or if it's like a stage actor's name or like he, his name was like John Smith and the guild said, nope, you got to be Ivory Ocean. But uh, yeah, it's a great name. OK. And finally, Chester writes in to say, how could Elaine have possibly spotted a guy's glasses while zipping down the street in the cab? Also, Elaine's cab driver looks like Danny Groner. Is that a person you actually know in real life or is that a sports oh, yeah, figure? Yeah, I didn't. No, no, no. That's a person we know. I didn't. I didn't notice that. <laughs> it's a shout out for just me, Amir and, and Chester. Thanks. <laughs> also, Chester, also, everyone thinks George's toupee looks good. Most prominently, the buxom lass at the coffee shop. So how do we explain Jerry's passionate opposition? Is the toupee salesman right that Jerry is just a mean-spirited anti-baldite who doesn't want his buddy to find happiness and possibly compete with him for women? Yeah, I think we're on to something here. Um, yeah, I think... Uh... That's not yeah, it's not a bad idea. I'm not I'm not sure, Chester. So we'll see next week uh, or I'm sorry, we'll see in the next episode we cover, which will be the beard. But that won't be for a couple of weeks from now. uh, How Jerry further reacts in the sight of the toupee. Yes. And uh, it's it's interesting, but it's not quite as memorable as Elaine. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, I'm very much looking forward to the discussion of George with the toupee, because as we've said many times, you know, smug arrogant George is one of the best Georges there is. Yeah. And completely out of control. Lane is the best Elaine also. I, yeah, I, the, the episodes keep getting better. I, I feel like I knew season six was good, but I even think so far it's been a little better, you know, as with really micro analyzing it than I yeah. thought it was. Yeah. And again, I watched a lot of the scenes with Elaine and George and the toupee before we came on today. And yeah, really looking forward to talking to that. But that won't almost, be you almost weeks. like cheated. It's like going ahead and the teacher's mad when the kids go ahead. Well, I just wanted to have like, a frame of reference to, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. But I feel like the ethos is like, oh yeah, we, you know, we stopped watching it when we started watching it. Yeah. So it's all- well, I didn't end up watching the whole episode, just the parts with the toupee, just to see how it was going to ultimately play out. Uh, Cause okay. you know, again, I thought that was this episode. So just wanted to be, you know, not sound like a total idiot and then get a bunch of emails more than usual. I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Kiva, what's the hashtag? I think you wrote a couple of options. Uh, human Newman, I had written. Yeah, Human Newman's not bad. <laughs> to pay it forward or... Uh, I like to pay it forward. I feel like that's hard to beat. Yeah, I think it was actually to pay off uh, for the episode. But I th- said that, that would be better for next week. But uh, that let's still use it here. That's the best one we've got. Maybe we'll have a better one next week. Maybe. To or pay- maybe we'll just reuse it. Yeah, to pay off. All right. Akiva. Yes. So... 
Next week is going to be our recap of the Seinfeld 100th episode celebration. We will watch that. 101. So on Comedy Bang Bang, they say like, because uh, they're up to like episode, let's say like 601. Mm-hmm. So after he does like every 100, he does the celebration. Then 101 and 201 and 301, he says he's breaking off another hundo. Mm-hmm. Now, technically, since we're doing 100 and 101 next week, we're breaking off the hundo mid-episode, I think. <laughs> okay. So uh, that is what we will do. We will be answering your questions about the first 100 episodes and uh, much, much more. Seinfeld at Post Show Recaps or send us voicemail. The first time we're going to take voicemails, postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld. Also, uh, we are also extending the invitation. If Jerry or Larry wants to call in for the 100th episode, uh, we will talk to them as well. Yeah, we would even take Melman, maybe maybe a friend of the podcast, Melman, who who actually wrote the episode next week. Maybe he'll give us five good minutes. I believe also our good friend Sean Falconer has a new research project that he wants to talk with us about as well. We will do that in the 100th episode. What else? Yeah, it's a doozy. Yeah. Yeah. Or people are already questions. A few questions have already come in. I got to start compiling them or I'm probably going to lose them and go through my emails and not find them. But um, yeah, I think uh, there'll be hopefully there'll be plenty to do or we'll have nothing to do and we'll just have to ramble on about a highlights episode for two hours. Do you have a special list coming? I I would say that ask, you know, I will make any list that the people want. It's like I'm a chef that, you know, it's it's a buffet. Just ask me and whatever one, whatever one you want. You know, I'll I'll, I'm (laughs) out of soups. I'm out of cereals. But if you if you want something, I don't know. I don't know what, but I'm happy to oblige. We will also talk through the 100th episode recap, talk about what got snubbed, what were reaches that made it into the 100th episode highlights. So a lot going on. I think uh, now we have to watch all 100 again just to remember. (laughs) We had a lot of homework this week. All right. So good stuff. All right. So. Thanks to Mike Moore, who does our episode recap. And of course, thanks so much to Scott St. Pierre, who has to uh, listen to even the parts of this podcast that got left on the cutting room floor uh, for either being uh, too whatever. Too, you could say boring. Mistake, yeah, mistakes, <laughs> boring, uh, you know, uh, things uh, Akiva said, which were far too offensive to be yes. heard by people. I suppose the accurate, boring stuff. That's a lot of the rest. <laughs> then we left that in. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So thank you, Scott. Thank you guys so much for listening and looking forward to the recap episode of Seinfeld's 100th uh, coming up next week. Follow Akiva on Twitter. He's at Keeve26. Also, you could hear Akiva talk about the world of sports on the 32 Fans in 32 Days podcast and much, much more. Besides Special guest this week. Oh, very special. Larry David. I'd say think someone who's not verified on Twitter. Hmm. Okay. All right. (laughs) That narrows it down. All right. So uh, always a pleasure. I'm at Rob Cistrino on Twitter. Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. Looking forward to hearing your comments for the 100th episode celebration next week. Take care, everybody. Bye.